Morning, good to see you this morning. My name's Paul. If you're new here, welcome. And if you've got your Bibles, open them up at Psalm 70, Psalm 77. So the baptism pool is just going to be there. Just a, a little um, heads up that we have ordered a heater, just so you know. Is that right, Ben? There he is, Ben somewhere. Yeah, we've ordered one. I'm going to name it for Ben. We have ordered one. One's on the way, so the water will be hot. But eight years ago, I baptized Ben in that water right here in November. So you know how cold it is. So. <laughs> So we will get a heater for that. Okay, so we're in a series on lament, what we call giving voice to the pain. And lament is not just walking through grief, but, but lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It stands in the gap between the pain and the promise. And we know the world is broken, don't we? We know the, the world's messed up. We experience it. We see it on a big scale. All we've got to do is turn on news on and the TV on or look at our phones. And we see it on a big scale. And we experience on a big scale, but also we see it around us, the situations that we face daily, our relationships, our family, our job situations, marriages, the daily addictions or struggles that we go through. And it's not just something that we see, but it's something that we feel deep within ourselves. And so what we want to do as we walk through this series is to acknowledge our pain and our struggles, to acknowledge that it's real, but also to look at the only place where we can find true hope in a painful situation. We were driving in the car last week. I heard a bit about this to Langdale in the Lake District. And someone said about glossing over it. And it just rang in my head. So I don't know if you've come across that phrase before, but don't gloss over it. What happens when you gloss something is it's a gloss is an oil-based paint. So it covers a problem so that you can paint over it. Okay, so if you just imagine, see that wall over there with all the stuff hanging off? It looks terrible, doesn't it? Okay, so what you're going to do, you're going to get a big massive load of sandpaper, scrape it all off, you then gloss it. And then you can paint it over to make it look fine, normal, like there's not a problem there. Okay, so glossing it, basically, you just make it look as nice as quick as you can. But if you haven't caused the problem behind it, it just resurfaces on repeat. That damp will just keep causing the problem six months later, however long later. So we need to solve the issue behind the issue. So we can gloss over our problems, medicate them, drink through them, put our church face on, swallow it down, crack on. But today what I want to do is I want to call us to stop glossing over things and address the problem by turning to God in prayer. See, prayer itself and prayer in pain is an act of faith, the honest cry to God of a hurting heart. And what we're going to see today, the, the lament and this prayer in pain is a path to praise, a path to joy, a path to life in the brokenness. So let me read this for us and then I'll pray. Psalm 77. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. At night, night, my hand is stretched out without worrying. My soul refuses. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Or his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. 
Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that by your Spirit, we would hear your voice this morning. Father, I pray that you would minister to us this morning in our pain. You would comfort us in our suffering. And you would lift up our hearts to see what you have done for us. Through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to take this psalm the way that the psalmist does, to actually walk through the different scenery on this path to praise. And what I want to do as well is just to stop and reflect what the psalmist reflects, to, to sealer. Okay, so here we see that word sealer. We're going to pause on these points. There's a lot of debate over what this word means. And I think in this context, as you see it, this is a pause and reflect on what's being said. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to pause, reflect, and see what God is showing us. This whole thing it starts in a really dark place, a deep spiritual and emotional valley. And we read right at the start of the psalm that God gives us a guide in Asaph. This is what's being said about Asaph. Let me just read it for us. A man who often touched a minor key. Asaph was a thoughtful, contemplative believer, but he had a dash of sadness about him, which gave a flavor to his songs. He was a man who had weathered many a storm. Asaph's an experienced guide. He understands pain. He understands suffering. He's walked many, many a mile through these dark valleys. And through Asaph, God is going to give us words. He's going to walk with us through the process of taking our praying in prayer to God. Let me just read verse 1 to 3 to remind us of this. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. There's a cry of pain. And I'm an outburst of pain that he's experiencing internally. And if you look really closely, because I want us to look closely as we make our way through this psalm, you'll see that it shapes everything that comes after what happens in this verse. Where is this verse directed? Where is this start directed? It's all directed to God. This is a prayer in the pain. This is a crying out to God aloud. This is spilling out of Asaph. And Asaph, he's a man of faith. He knows God hears him. That's what he says. In verse 2, Morning and evening, he's seeking God. It seems like he, he, he doesn't feel like his prayers are being answered, but he's persisting in his prayers. 
This is a man in deep distress. Depression, anxiety, fear, worry. His neck tight, his chest tight, his stomach churning, his shoulders tight, his head aching, the rings around his eyes from lack of sleep, the color drained out of his face. It almost feels like God has hid his face from him. He's like a toddler who's, who's hurt himself or afraid and he's crying with his arms out running to the parent that he can't see. He's all over the place, panicked, chaotic. His thoughts running wild, his mind racing. Verse 2, he refuses comfort from God's word. He's a sick man refusing medication. He's a hungry man turning away food. Or even a prisoner hugging the chains that are keeping him locked up. He's so low, we read in verse 3, that he moans. This kind of outward noise that expresses the pain within. He's crushed internally. Selah. So let's pause with Asaph. Let's reflect. Let's just take time, a moment, to ask ourselves some questions. Where do we turn in pain? I don't know if you've ever experienced this type of pain or suffering. I guess many of you have. Some of you might not have done. I confess I have. I've, I've suffered with intense grief. I've suffered with intense loss as well. Situations that have been out of my control, which have led to deep, deep pain for me. I shared a few weeks ago that I actually think with a limp was the phrase I, I used, that there's issues with my mental processing that can cause problems for me. And I've carried it for decades, and I never dealt with it till six months ago. I glossed over it. I became a Christian when I was 28. Before that, glossed over it with drink and drugs. And after becoming a Christian, I pretended. I swallowed things down. It doesn't work, folks. It doesn't work. It makes it worse. But here, what we are saying that this is a gracious invitation to come to God. So why don't we? Why don't we come to God? Sometimes I think it's fear. It might be a shame of of who you are. It might be a shame of what's been done to you or what, what you're thinking or what you think of yourself. It might be a guilt from something you've done or it might be guilt for the way that you're thinking and thinking, I can't take that to God. I've just got to hide that. It might be that you think you've got to be strong. That's not the way a Christian thinks. But God sees everything. God knows everything. You can't hide anything from him. In fact, we're told in the New Testament here that the Holy Spirit searches the inner places. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles. He knows your suffering. He knows the internal things that are going on that you think no one else knows. In fact, we're even told that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. He takes our groanings through the Son to the Father, the ones that we can't even express in words. So would you accept this invitation today that in your hurt, pain, grief, and questions, turn to God? You don't know how. You might say, well, let's see what God says, verse 4 to 9. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I can't speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made the diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? 
Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Asaph then takes us on the next phase of our journey. He's given a voice to our struggle. He's actually praying his struggle. Verse 4, he's saying, I can't sleep. Let me sleep. You're holding my eyes open. When you're in a state of mind like this, the worst place to be is the middle of the night. Alone with your own thoughts. No escaping. Doctors will tell us that sleep alleviates depression. It alleviates this internal pain. It alleviates our struggles. But sorrow and this kind of pain and suffering and anguish stops us sleeping, continues to eat into the soul in the darkness of the night. And we can gloss over it. We can medicate it and sleep through the pain, but it doesn't go. God is graciously inviting us to bring it to him. Verse 4, he says he can't speak. He's struggling in, in relationship. He can't verbalize his struggle. He, he can't talk. He's struggling in company amongst his friends maybe. So he puts on his church face. Or he stays in bed, hiding from people, numbing himself, or finding things to numb himself with. But as we read this, what we do see here is Asaph trying, he's persistent in turning to God. Verse 5, he's struggling in the present. So what does he do? He begins to reflect on the past. He tries to draw from his, his memory, the good time, the stories that he's heard. It's not working. It's like going to the fridge when you're hungry and finding it empty. He tries music. He in verse 6, he gets his guitar out. He sits at his piano. He puts on his favorite worship music, maybe a bit of Shane and Shane or, or Hillsong or some blues for me. It's a little bit of Chris Stapleton, but it just doesn't work to no avail. But what does he do? He persists in turning to God. Verse 6, he searches within himself. He's searching. He's asking the question of himself, why this sorrow? He's asking the question, why this despair? He's trying to trace the sorrow to its source within his own soul. I think very often we're in these places, we don't ask the question, God, why this sorrow? Why this despair? Help me understand it. Last weekend we went to, a few of the, the leaders went up to Great Langdale in the Lake District, and we went up this ra ravine, ravine, I forgot how to pronounce it, forgive me. I used to be a geography teacher, that's terrible as well. Going up a ravine, ravine, ravine? Ravine, I said everything wrong. Ravine, whatever, just... Paint the word yourself. And we're going up this ravine, which is a steep-sided valley. And it's got like a little river in the middle that's tumbling down. And we scrambled to get up for about two hours. You can't see the view. It was hard work. We were slipping on all the water. It was wet. It was difficult. You couldn't really talk to one. They were going up individually, tired as we put the work in to move upward, to get to that view at the top. And I think that's what Asaph is doing here. He can't see the view, but he keeps moving up. He's scrambling up. He asks a series of questions in verse 7 to 9. Honest questions. And they're all based on the truth of God's word. They're actually taken from Exodus 34, 6 to 7, where God is revealing his character. And he's saying, has God turned away from me? Has God stopped loving me? Is God not gracious? Have, have God's promises stopped? Has he no compassion? It's interesting, isn't it, as we read those? We know the answer. The answer is obvious. The answer is no to all of them. No, 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 no. Asaph knows it. God hasn't changed. God's not forgotten. God is still faithful. God is steadfast. God is loving. God is good for his promises to his people. God loves his people. God has compassion. 
You see, all these questions that he's asking, they're all, they're all prompted by a wrong fear. Disbelief and doubts that can sit within us if they're not addressed. But I think what is wonderful is, is that in asking these questions is what brings the cure. Our gracious God invites us to look these questions that we are sitting in right in the face. Because, folks, the answer is self-evident and the answer brings joy. Sila. See, we're at a stage in the journey here where we're not seeing and not able to see the wonderful views. It's more of a scramble, more of a struggle, more of a, a slipping, and more of a feeling isolated, one foot in front of the other. But even here, we have the opportunity to turn to God in the struggle. So let me ask you, what are the questions that you need to ask? What is the sorrow that you feel? What is the pain you feel? How honest are you with God? Do you hide things away from Him? What are your doubts and struggles? So I think what we're being shown here is a way to, to weed out the things that rob us of joy. Alexander McLaren, a Scottish minister, said this, Doubts are better put into plain speech than lying diffused and darkening like poisonous mists in the heart. A thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. See, what he's saying is these things are, are already there. See, sometimes I think our natural response is, well, a true Christian can't believe those things. He can't feel that doubt, can't believe that doubt, can't can't experience life that way. That's not a true Christian, so therefore we've got to hide it. Folks, let me just free you from that. We live in a broken world. And as believers in this broken world, we think and feel a whole range of things. This is an invitation to bring out what is hidden, things that have been lying dormant so that they can be dealt with with God. Speaking them means facing them with God. Becoming aware of them means dealing with them with God. He said before, lament, it's a path through brokenness to praise. Can't just gloss over it and go straight to the fix. We've got to go through it to the praise. So to get to praise, there are times when we have to walk the difficult journey. There are times when we have to scramble to get to see the view. And honestly praying this way recognizes the pain and suffering they create difficult emotions. Pain and suffering create difficult emotions. And these emotions, they're not based on truth, but they feel true. And what this is, is an invitation from God and by God to bring them to him in prayer so that we can see the truth. We can expose the lies to the light so that they are driven from the soul like sun melting the frost in the morning. So let's turn to God in prayer, in pain and suffering and even folks in the doubt that we feel. And then in verse 10 to 15, Asaph praised the gospel. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. 
Selah. So Asaph, having come through this dark valley and then scrambled up the narrow way, comes to the source and he sees the view. The view just opens up in front of him. He's got this beautiful scenery and he can clearly see in all directions. He gets to appreciate what's been there all along. What's been around him all along, he just couldn't see it. And in verse 11, we read that he remembers, he ponders, he meditates God's works. He's pulling again from his memory. He's calling to mind God's work in his life. He's remembering times of blessing, times of protection. He's remembering times of provision. He's remembering times when spiritually he felt joy and life and peace. He's pondering. He's meditating on them. What, What does that mean? It means he's slowly thinking about it. He's looking at it from different angles. He's singing about it. He's praying about it. He's talking about it with others. He's chewing over it. He's praying, verse 13, God's good character. He's reminding himself, God is holy. God is pure. God is perfect. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. Folks, there is a great comfort in God's holiness. You see, before what was happening, he was allowing the false reality and the lies and the wrong perspective to shape his view and understanding of God. Now what he's doing, he's allowing his understanding, his right view of God, the fullness of God's holiness to shape and reshape his perspective and reality around him. He says in verse 13, who is like you? What he's saying is, why would I go anywhere else? Nowhere and no one else has the answer. Glossing over it just doesn't work. You can't medicate your way through it. You can't drink through it. You can't numb yourself. You can't hide it. It just doesn't work. It doesn't go away. You, God, are the only answer. And he starts to to bubble up from his soul in praise and prayer. Verse 14 to 15, he speaks of, of the God who works wonders. A God who reveals himself to a people. A God who displays his power to a people. A God who shows it specifically to his chosen people. Israel, the children of Jacob and Joseph, a people who he knows intimately, his children. He is their God, Selah. Turning to God is the only true hope for you. If you don't know God here this morning, I'm guessing you know some of the pain and struggle that I'm describing. There's nothing that you do, nothing that you try, nothing that you attempt will ever heal the brokenness that you experience. There is only one way for it to be healed. God himself sent his son into the brokenness. Who lived for us, who suffered for us, who went through pain for us, who cried out in anguish to his father for us, who experienced death for us. You could actually say that the psalmist is describing Jesus Christ's experience. God himself becoming man. And because the Lord Jesus Christ himself lived this, God's word tells us that he understands. He was tempted as we are. He understands our weakness. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Folks, he didn't sin. We're told that he bore our sorrow. And because of him, his life, his death, and his resurrection and ascension into the very presence of God the Father, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can go to God for help. We can cry out in prayer. But folks, he also rose from the dead. 
showing that he has dealt with it. The brokenness, the pain, the suffering, the struggle, that is real. He experienced it himself. But there's also going to be a time when all of those tears are going to be wiped. All pain, all depression, all anxiety, all despair, all grief will be gone. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, an old preacher who walked many a mile himself with, with sorrow, said this, Do not think that you're alone in your sorrow. Bow your head and bear it if it cannot be removed. For but a little while and every cloud shall be swept away and you in the cloudless sunlight shall behold your God. What great comfort that is. I've just got three things that I have for us as we close. First of all is that drum I've been banging through this psalm that we are called to turn to God in prayer. First of all, we looked at just, just turn to him, cry out to him, verse 1 to 3. Verse 4 to 9 was cry out to him and bring your pain, your suffering, your doubt, your struggle to God. Don't just turn to him in prayer, but turn to him in honest prayer. And then pray the gospel, verse 10 to 20. You see, this sealer resulted in Asaph bursting out into praise. As he reflected, verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lifted, lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, he's reflecting, and it just outbursts in praise. What he's doing, folks, he's recalling the Exodus. He's praising God for that great deliverance in Israel's history. Where God's people were rescued from slavery. God himself revealing his character to his people. He's remembering how God revealed his love and his mercy to a broken, needy people. He's remembering the love of God in saving him and his people. So what does that look like for you? Folks, my lack of thankfulness, that's the big root of my heart, a lack of thankfulness has distorted me for many, many years. It's led me to be anxious, fearful, moody. It's led me to turn on people and to turn to other things for comfort. I am on, I don't know how else to, to phrase this, this is a hundred, day 190, that's like six and a half months of it, of a thankful training plan, I'll call it. What that means, folks, is that every day I start the day with a psalm. It means I have to get up half an hour earlier. That's what I do. You see, God reveals his character through his word. If you go through the Psalms, you're going to be surprised how many times you're going to see the word thanks and give thanks and be thankful in Psalms. And that's what I do. I just get a pencil and I underline. I start underlining the word thankfulness and just went through it all the way. And then for 15 to 30 minutes, I'm thankful to God. I reflect on God's grace from the day before and it is a fully stocked fridge never runs out and what that does is I as I take from that grace that has been given to me it then shapes my perspective for the day ahead it changes my way of thinking in light of God's grace you see for me folks that increase in thankfulness has led me and is leading me to a deeper experience of life joy and peace in God and I think there is a link a link here that we are seeing through the psalm with Asaph he highlighted himself through the psalm so what about you what about you? What about you? 
How can you turn to God this week? I'm not asking you to do exactly the same as me. I'm not. I'm asking you to turn to God. Turn to God in prayer. Turn to God in honest prayer. Pray the gospel and turn to God. So maybe this week, set aside some time to ask God some questions. If you're thinking you haven't got time and you're too busy, you need to change everything else that you do. Make time. What needs weeding out, folks? What are the things in your life, in your soul that need weeding out? What are the doubts that sit there that God knows about that you're just pushing down? What are the questions that you have? What are the, the, the things that rob you of joy? What robs you of peace? Maybe, folks, for some of you here, there is a deep-seated sorrow that you just can't shift. What is it? Ask God. Take it to God. But also, folks, ask the questions, how has God displayed his grace in your life? Folks, all you need to do is sit down, get yourself a little seat, yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, sit down and just think, okay, where's God showing his grace to me? There's no end to it. You can just keep going and going and going and going and going. Maybe the fact that we're not seeing that grace is because we don't take time to actually notice it. Sit down and maybe remember those moments of protection. Moments where God has protected you. Even now, it might have been years ago. Just reflect back to that moment. It's the same God that protected you then as is protecting you now. When you reflect right now, even on the way that God has provided for you, do that now. Please, don't just, don't just allow these words to be the, the noise of someone at the front of a church service that you're just going to listen and allow to wash over you and go. Think about it right now. What has God provided for you? How has God provided for you? Reflect on it now and ask if that's not stirring up something in your emotions, in the depth of your soul, that gut reaction. Ask that God would help you to feel and experience in that. There is life. There is life in God. God is life. Remember those moments where you felt God's intimacy. Remember those times where you have felt his compassion, his grace, his goodness. Times where you felt his love, the times where you felt his care. And reflect, like we see that Asaph did here, reflect on the time that God saved you. I became a Christian when I was 28, nearly 17 years ago. What a wonderful thing that happened. I was brought from death to life. I was running away from God. I was nowhere. I was a mess. And God, in his wonderful grace, stepped into my life, called me by his spirit through his son, brought his child home, adopted me into his family. What a gracious God, folks. Let's take a moment to reflect. It might not have happened to you instantly. It might have opened over a period of time. You might have been brought up in a Christian family. Praise God for that. Reflect on his goodness and his grace to you. Been rescued from slavery to sin. You've been given the riches of heaven, the goodness of God Himself, and the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. And folks, you are the recipient of that if you believe in Jesus. Regardless of the pain and the doubt and the struggles you feel, you are the re recipient of the greatest gift the world has ever seen. God the Father sent His Son for you. And folks, ponder and meditate. I want to say that that phrase and use the psalmist phrase because I think that pushes against so much in our culture. Ponder and meditate both of those words. 
have the connotation underneath of slow down, slowly do this. We live, don't we, in an age of speed, impatience, immediacy, quick news, quick cues, quick conversation, and as a result, quick thoughts. Don't move on. Sit in it. Slow down. I read something a couple of weeks ago which said there's nothing wrong with staring at a wall. We've actually lost the habit of staring at a wall. I don't know about you, but I can be in a queue. I go to a little Tesco over there, and I go to maybe get some, like on a Sunday, I go and get a, a few treats for the Sunday evening. There's a special reward for preaching. And I go along, and literally, I'm in the queue, and I've got about 30 seconds in the queue. I don't want to waste my time for 30 seconds, so what do I do? I get my phone out, and I'm looking at my phone. I don't know if that's you as well, but literally, sometimes I just find I'm looking at my phone without realizing it. I have this automatic reflex. It just happens all the time. And this man's point was, do you know what? Maybe the best thing to do for those 40 seconds, one minute, two minutes, five minutes, if that's the case, is to stir at that wall and think. Allow your thoughts to process. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe because you're going to face this all the time, I know that, in your work, in your shop, maybe just take those times this week as well to reflect on some of the things I've said, to remember God, to be thankful to God, to turn to God in honest prayer. Number two, we do it together as God's people limping along together. Maybe you're, you're sat here today thinking, how do I lament? How do we lament? I, I think I feel okay. And these are good questions. I don't want to downplay those good questions. Because I think there's been times where I'm like this. Okay, what does this look like? I feel okay as well. Things aren't too bad for me at the moment. I went through that stuff six months ago, but okay, I'm all right now. How do I lament? Pray for others. Start there. Set aside time to pray for other people. Start with your gospel community, the people in your church family really close to you. And then think through people that you know are hurting, people that you know are struggling in church. Then maybe pray for your neighbor, the people next door to you, the people in your street, your community. Pray for our city. The leaders of our city have just been displaced because of corruption. This city is in a terrible state. Pray for our city. Pray for our nation. Pray for the brokenness that is all around us, that are hurting people all around us. Pray for these big things that we read about in the news. See, what I'm saying, folks, is maybe lamenting is, is yes, it's for us in these difficult moments, but maybe we're also lamenting for other people. Jesus lamented as he looked around at the world. We see this process. The world is broken. It's messed up. People are struggling. People are in pain. Maybe we need to ask God by his spirit that he would do a work in our heart, that our hearts are, are moved emotionally to feel the lament that others are walking through. Our church family, our cities, the people of the cities, the lost of the cities, the social injustices of the city. Ask that God would do a work in our hearts that we are moved to lament to him. And come Tuesday night. Because you see, folks, this is a communal song. I think we struggle to get our head around that communal song. Really, this? What? Surely this is done something I just do on my own. No, this is a communal song. They will have sung this. They'll have come together to do this. People lamenting together, yes, for themselves, but for others before God. And together, what we're going to do, let's make it as simple as it is. We're going to turn to God in prayer. That's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to God in honest prayer. We're going to help each other. 
See, folks, maybe this series has all the benefits for us as a people that we might not have realized. We have just spent a whole year, 14 months, in isolation, away from each other, physically not being with each other. Yes, we're on Zoom. That's been, I don't want to say great because it's not, has it? It's been a good provision for us to do something. But we've not been physically present. We haven't been able to meet as a big church family. We haven't been able to meet as gospel communities. We haven't been able to meet one-to-one and pray with one another, to feel each other's burdens, to, to kind of carry each other, to see the pain and the struggle and the weakness, which is what we do when we're together. We pick it up. We see it. We experience it. We, 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 we walk with one another closely. Maybe this is the best time in that we could possibly have a series on lament coming out of 14 months of isolation and separation. Maybe lament is God's way of saying, okay, let me unite you back together by the Spirit. Let me remind you guys that you're a family. Let me remind you guys that you are brothers and sisters called to carry one another's burdens, called to walk alongside each other in love. And maybe that's how we approach Tuesday. We're going to walk this together. God by His Spirit, in humble dependence upon Him, it's going to help us lament and lament for each other. And lastly, I want to leave you with this because I think the psalm actually ends here. And that is we do it with God. He is always there. He will always be there. See, in verse 20, right towards the end there, Moses and Aaron, they describe the shepherds and the people as God's flock. Asaph has been our guide, but he's led us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the view. Jesus Christ is the goodness. Jesus Christ is the grace of God. This psalm is talking about Jesus Christ. So Jesus came. Jesus walked on the water. Jesus calmed the storm. And Jesus Christ is the true shepherd. He is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he says this in John 10. My sheep... That is you if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Listen to this, folks. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Let me say that again. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus, God, the Son, is saying that no one is going to snatch you from his hand. You are safe and secure in God's hands. But folks, it gets better. It gets better. Because then he goes on to say this, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Brothers and sisters, united by God the Holy Spirit, you are in good hands. God the Father and God the Son have you. They're holding you. You're safe. And they will never allow anything or anyone to snatch you from their hands. Recognize Jesus' voice today. Hear the true shepherd's voice today. He's calling you back. He is bringing you back. He is carrying you back. So let's turn to God in prayer. I want to do something slightly different. And what I want us to do is the musicians are going to come up in a minute. Is I want us to take this time, these next few minutes, to just sit in this. To sit in, in the quiet. And what I want you to do is 
is not allow these words that have been spoken to just have gone through your head and for you to be thinking about the next thing and cracking on with your day. But to be asking these questions right now, to take this moment right now to ask these questions. Maybe it is a question of sorrow. Maybe it's a question of doubt. Maybe it's a question of pain. Maybe it's a question of just help me, Lord. Please just help me. And for you to do that now. And after you've spent a bit of time doing that for yourself and asking those questions, what I would like you to do is as we look around this room, this room has been beautifully designed, folks, and it's in a semicircle. There's a reason for that because we're a family. This is not just about people stood there facing me and going on the way. This is a church family. You can see each other's faces. You may know people's lives. Look around you. See the brothers and sisters that God has put you amongst. See the family that God has put you amongst and pray for them. Pray for them. If you don't know what to pray, ask God, how do I pray for this person? How do I love this person? If you know the situations, let's lament for people. And then think of our city, your neighbors, the community, our nation. And after a period of time, a period of quiet, the guys are going to play a song for us.